everybody, we are back for another episode of Success in Black and White, the podcast. We have a very special guest for you. So April is going to read you the bio, and then we will jump right into this episode. All right. So Kiama Anthony Bishop is the Assistant University Registrar for Policy and Compliance at the University of Virginia, where she's been employed since 2015. She has worked with military students in the higher education setting since 2011. She coordinates the submission of certifications for military educational benefits, tuition assistance, and other programs. Kiyama also manages collaborating with the provost office and UVA's 11 schools to develop and improve academic administrative policies at UVA. She also represents UVA on the SCHEV, I have no idea what that stands for, Military Education Advisory Committee, but it sounds really important, and as a member of the university's Inclusive Excellence Committee. She is committed to inclusive and equitable policies and practices and has a passion for dismantling systemic racism in higher education. Kiyama is also the vice president of the Virginia Association of School Certifying Officials. She's a first-generation college student with a Bachelor of Arts in Sociology and a Master of Public Administration. She is completing doctoral studies in the Doctor of Education and Leadership Program at Virginia Commonwealth University. Kiyama resides with her husband, Justin, in Central Virginia. I'm excited to have this guest. Kiyama is a friend of mine and a mentor of mine. And today we're going to be talking about microaggressions and how to combat them both in person and now virtually. I'm April Lovett. And I'm Daryl Lovett. And this is Success in Black and White. The podcast. Where our mission is to bridge the gap between Between racial racial boundaries. boundaries. We can't wait to share our stories, tips, and experiences. As well as hear from extraordinary guests. So stay tuned as we jump into this episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Success in Black and White. The podcast. We are back. One more again. We are back. One more again. We are back. Coming to you live from the house. The house. Yes. And we are not alone. Not in our house, but we're not alone on our podcast today. We have a guest with us coming to us all the way from Virginia. Ooh. I'm really excited about this one because this girl to me, she is such a good friend. It's so funny because we've never met in person, but I feel like that's just the times of COVID. But she is such a good friend. Um, she has been a mentor, whether she realizes it or not, she has mentored me. Um, and I am excited because some of the first things that her and I talked about, we are going to bring to this audience today. And I'm really excited about it because she is a wealth of knowledge and experience. And I just can't get, I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm excited. I can't even talk. I'm so excited. (laughs) I'm excited for you. I know y'all be having y'all little conversations going on and stuff. (laughs) I'll be walking in the room and they be having little conversations going on. And I just be like, oh, okay. I walk back out. I'm (laughs) like, I already know who it is. I'm walk back out. So 
I love it. All right, we'll go ahead and jump us off then. Well, cool. Okay, so y'all have already heard, but this is Kiyama, and Kiyama is the assistant. Oh, you are going to have to help me, but you are the assistant university registrar for University of Virginia, and you do have like a specialty in that, which I am not going to lie, I didn't even know existed. Um, so you kind of have a specialty, and our get our audience heard that already, but you are also in you're on your way to become a doctor, which is so cool. And I think you're almost done, right? Like you're so close. I'm almost yeah. halfway there. Almost halfway there. It I feels love so it. far. It's really not, but it's, it's not. That I'm trying to get there. <laughs> you got this. We're rooting for you. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I appreciate so the good vibes. Yes, vibes your way. But you are going to be a doctor in okay higher education leadership. A doctor of leadership at Virginia Commonwealth University. So yeah, we're focusing on, um, I'm in the higher education track. And so we're focusing on on higher education because that's that's where I live right now. And uh, that's where my passion is at. And, and where I feel like we need more people that look like us in leadership positions in higher education. So um, that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing right now. I love it. Awesome. So let's do this for the people. Why don't you give your own introduction and tell them a little bit about you um, and who you are and kind of what puts you on the path that you're on right now? All right. We're just going to jump right in, right? Um, hi, everyone. Well, I am Kiyama Anthony Bishop. As um, my good girlfriend here said, I am Assistant University Registrar for Policy and Compliance at the University of Virginia. I feel like my title is really straightforward. I deal with policy and compliance <laughs> in the registrar's office. Um, kind of, you know, how I got here is, is really tied to my own personal story and my own lived experience. So I'm a first generation college student um, for my entire family. And um, I, came, I come from a single mother, single parent household. And one thing that I can say is that um, my mom pushed me and education has always been something that was very important to her. It was something that she knew I was going to be able to use to be successful. Um, And there were times when I was like, all right, mom, you pushed me a little too hard. But in hindsight, she really was not, right? I was just, you know, being a jerk in, in my younger years, my teenage and my, my college years. And so um, taking that into my undergraduate experience, I mean, I'm a first generation college student in Central Virginia at a predominantly white institution, right? And so, you know, we arrive and um, I remember clearly one of the first like headlines of our school paper, like our first week we were there was, you know, this institution welcomes it's class of 25 blacks. And that was like this big thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, where did I, where did I get to? And so, you know, don't get me wrong, that that experience, you know, it absolutely shaped, you know, what I'm doing now. I ended up being the the president of the Black Student Association. I, you know, I worked with the undergraduate admissions office. I mean, I did a number of things in terms of like, you know, club organizations and stuff like that. But I realized 
as I was going through those experiences and looking back that, you know, my experience is so different from the majority of the people that are on the same campus as me. And so, you know, fast forwarding to now and, you know, what my role is now, I really feel like I can bring that that energy to my work. I mean, when we're talking about policy and compliance, literally how we tell people to exist on these campuses impacts their, you know, their experiences. And um, I think that's that's really where my passion lies is, you know, we have minoritized groups, we have people that look like me, we have people that don't look like me that are in other minoritized populations that really are having a hard time because of systemic racism and the oppressive systems and, you know, policies that we have. Um, so, I mean, obviously that's a, that's the passion of mine, but that's how I, that's how I got here. And that's why, why I continue to do what I do and why I do it at a predominantly white institution now. I do want to say that one of the things that you have taught me, this was I never knew before this. I think that I was um, consistently when we were talking about some of the experiences I was having or like that I was trying to convey or trying to write about, I would say the term underrepresented. And you were the one who was like, let's use a different term. <laughs> like you were very, like very nice and very PC about it. You're like, let's use a different term underrepresented. Let's not use that. It's minoritized, racially minoritized, maybe gender minoritized, like, but let's not use underrepresented. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. Literally like flipped a switch that day. I stopped using that terminology. And I wanted to draw attention to that because you said that and I think that it's still so prevalent for people to use the term underrepresented when speaking about specific minoritized populations. Can you, I know we're like a little bit out of question order. Yeah, absolutely. Questions, I'm but going can with you, the flow with you all. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Can you tell us, tell our audience, like, give us some insight um, because I do consider you like you're my mentor and you're one of the experts on this. And so tell us a little bit about what, why people should be very careful with their language in terms of using terms like minoritized versus underrepresented. Yeah. So underrepresented and underserved are two terms that are kind of like buzzwords, right? We, we fall on them a little too much historically. Um, and so we use those and it, it creates a different stigma for those students, right? We, it's clear that they are underserved and underrepresented, but we've continued to underserve and upper, underrepresent them um, in a manner that it really doesn't make sense to keep using those terms when we should be talking about racially minoritized groups or minoritized populations in general, right? We're talking about the minority versus the majority. And let's be clear, the majority is a lot larger than the minority, right? And so we really kind of do a disservice when we continue to use those terms. It's also like, you know, using the term diversity. And I know diversity is kind of a hot topic right now in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. When we were talking about diversity, why don't we take it a step further and talk about representation, talk about equity, you know, talk about those things. And so that's really 
where we where, where we kind of came with that. And so, you know, when we're when we're looking at how we can create equitable and inclusive campuses and environments, you know, those are words that just don't create that type of environment for students. Um, but even like when we're talking about each other, I, I can say, you know, Janie over here is an underserved group and she's a staff member and we're doing the same thing. Like we're creating this kind of barrier. We're putting this additional identity on these folks that already are dealing with systemic oppression and systemic racism. Um, and so, I, I mean, I'm about, and, and I will be clear, I was guilty of using that for years. Um, and it wasn't until I started really delving into this area and doing more research and realizing the impact of my words, even as a black woman, that I started to say like, oh, okay, we need to change this. It's just like, for example, you know, to equate it, to put it in simple terms of, you know, a person who has a disability and just saying, oh, disabled person, you know, not defining them by a specific disability or a specific characteristic, but let's acknowledge who we are as people, right? Um, and so that's 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 really where that came from. I remember that conversation now that you brought that up. Like I was like, oh, okay, that stuck with her. But um, yeah, that's where that's where that 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 comes from, right? You know what? I was listening to you explain that, and I was just kind of sitting here, and I was like, that's almost like a double whammy. Like when you say that, it's almost like because like you obviously can't take away. Um, them being a part of a minoritized population, but then you hit them with the unrepresented. And I was just thinking, I was like, you can still make small steps towards finding representation, but even if you do that, there's still going to be a minoritized, you know, group. Absolutely. Part of a minoritized group. And I was just like, wow, that's a double whammy. They unrepresented and they're part of the, the minoritized group. And one, you can make adjustments and make small steps towards, you know, fixing, but the other one you can't change. So once you just classify them as the one and you make minor adjustments to find representation, it's kind of like a clean slate, but it's not really a clean slate though. No, it's not, it's not. I mean, representation matters, right? And so when we're, you know, when we're talking about diversity, it's, it's, it's so whitewashed, right? Because what are we what are we being diverse from right what are we what are we trying to represent so it's really the majority trying to bring in other groups bring in those minoritized populations to create a diverse atmosphere at the end of the day a person is not diverse they are you know minoritized group they're minoritized and so it it's i mean there's so many layers to this right like and, and it's it's crazy because, you know, there are so many layers to this in general, and then there are so many layers to this in higher education, right? And I feel like they go hand in hand, right? My question is, is over-representation a thing? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think so. I mean, it depends on like, who, who are you talking about in terms of over-representation? I mean, are we talking about you know, a board full of white men? Then that's overrepresentation. So I, I think you have them. It's just you know the context in which you which you put it in, right? You know, I think 
you can have over-representation. Over but in terms of like minoritized groups um, and where we have come from historically, I don't think that you're gonna have a, a point where you're gonna have over-representation of minoritized populations. You may have tokenization where you are overusing someone from a minoritized group, but I don't think that we're ever going to get to a point where we can consider something over-representation for a racially or otherwise minoritized group. See, you just opened a door. I'm gonna let you have it back. Oh, oh, you said, to I, I, you said tokenization. Like, Here what? we go. Oh, we can talk about tokenization now. Uh -huh. Oh, my goodness. And then I also feel like this with the minoritized groups. It's like you try to reach the representation that you feel is adequate for your organization, right? But then, like, once you start getting too many, it's kind of like, all right, y'all, like, we got four of them in there now. Right. Like, we we feeling good about these four. Let's not push it too. Let's not push the envelope. You know, it's funny because it ties back to you all's, you know, your your episode about Black History Month. Like, all right, when we get into March, y'all have February. We in March now. Let's pull it back a little bit. So y'all got four. You know, five. You need to do something else, right? <laughs> so and it, I mean, but that's 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 the nature of of what you're dealing with and. There are really, there are really times when it's like, well, we don't have any, like, well, we just don't have any regular white folks that can do this. Like, you know, something like that. Um, or, you know, it's, is it becoming a little too diverse, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel you. So yeah, I mean, we can go down the road of, of tokenization if you want. And, uh, but yeah, he could, but he that, that might be a different day, right? <laughs> That might be a different don't get me started we get this, started we'll be here for three hours we'll we are here for you tonight <laughs> we are here for you <laughs> but this will it does be mutually exist. beneficial okay <laughs> yeah but it does exist and the fact that you said that um you know and and for instance um you know i've been a part of organizations you know not speaking on where i am now uh well to an extent i can a little bit but just some i've been a part of some other organizations that have stuck out a little bit more to where they're like all right we got a good one like he's the face for this you know i work for an organization um in a city in a large city and i found myself like going to all of uh the schools in certain areas and certain rural areas and um i was kind of like the face i was the person for a specific group because they're like we need more of these types of people to come participate in our programs so before i knew it they like i had a car and they were giving me gas stipends and at least they paid you yeah, i right. know i was like at, well, at the same i was like why are they sending me out to all these places and, and then it started to make sense like you know i had my little shirt on with my little name tag and extra large letters <laughs> and i i found myself going to like all the places and they were just like look and I was speaking in front of them and, and, and it was like you said, it was a tokenization and it was a reason for it. They wanted people that look like me to be more involved in the programs um, that was being provided. So they put me out there as the face. And obviously the way that they say, oh my gosh, you're so well-spoken, the way you present yourself is so professional and, you know, and that's why they put me out there to do that. And I was just like, wait a minute, I, nobody else can't do this. I got to do this every single time. 
yeah, we get so because you said that we got to jump ahead a little bit. Because <laughs> I'm so glad that you were going because I was going to go to April. So too. I'm like, he's priming the pump already he with is. like, the, you're so well spoken because yeah. I, what we really want to talk about is microaggressions. Yes. Oh. People don't understand. Some people may understand. A lot of people, I would venture to say, don't understand what this means, what this term means, like what microaggressions are, how you would classify an action as a micro or words or even body language as a microaggression. Um, and it happens. We had, you know, I don't know how far back you went in our episodes, but I think like a year and a half ago, we did a two part episode on code switching. Mm-hmm. three-part episode on code switching Ooh. and he taught he was like brutally honest <laughs> about his experiences yeah. with code switching and so we talked about that but I think that plays into the larger microaggressions it does. and so I'm just curious I, I know I wrote something amazing here but we've talked about microaggressions mm-hmm. before and I'm just curious like from your standpoint your experiences your knowledge base like tell our audience a little bit about what this means to you. Um, if you don't mind sharing, if you've experienced them in some way that we could learn from, <laughs> you'll have plenty to share. Um, but just, sh- just share, if you don't mind, we want to educate. You know, Daryl's talking about this and I'm like, so we, we just tell her to go straight to racial microaggressions. Like we, we're going straight there. Like, tokenization and microaggressions go hand in hand like tokenization is a form of a racial microaggression right you know derogatory comments and insults that you know are slighted and people say things and they don't mean them that way or you know i didn't mean it like that but you you speak well right you you sound intelligent and it's like my immediate response is well what else is a college educated person supposed to sound like what else is an adult person supposed to sound like? But that is, I mean, and that is something, or the 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 age old, you talk white, right? Like you talk, you sound white. And it's like, oh, okay. So because I sound like a white person, I, I sound more intelligent. Is that what you're saying to me? And people don't understand the impact of those things, right? Like you know, you, it's just, it's just things like that. Invisibility, you know, isolation, like I can't tell you how many times I walk into a space now and virtually even, and I'm the only person of color there. Right. And so you show up and you're in this, these spaces and it's, you know, 20 people on your screen and you're literally like, all right, it's just me today. All right. Gonna hold it down, all right. Let me try to represent for my people. But then you go, you go to say something, and then someone speaks over you, right? Someone, you know, we can be talking about something that is directly impacting students of color, particularly first gen or black students. And you go to say something, and someone's like just talking straight over you. And it's like, all right, so I'm invisible. I'm, I'm not here. You all don't see me. And that's, that, that's, a, that's a, a microaggression, right? And then, you know, you have to be forceful and like, I have to insert myself into the conversation. So then I have to deal with the angry black woman syndrome, right? Like, oh, Kiyama's angry. Like she raised her voice. Let's hear what she has to say when it's, no, you haven't given me a space 
to be visible in this entire time. So I've had to create this space myself by making you uncomfortable, right? Those are, I mean, they are things that people deal with all the time, you know, racial microaggressions and microaggressions in general just show up all day, every day, right? You know, I, I remember clearly where I had someone literally walk up and put their hand in my hair at work. It was like, how did you get your hair to look like that? And I just was like, as this hand is in my scalp, I was just like, is this, is this, is this really happening? And it's happened more than once. And people don't understand that that is inappropriate. I would never walk up to anyone and touch them, right? Like, other than my husband, I'm not touching anybody. I'm not stroking your hair. I'm not patting you on the back. I'm not going to pat you on the head. Like, all of those things are just so inappropriate. And yes, these are all accurate accounts because I see your face, April. But yeah, I, th I think I've gone down like a rabbit hole right now with that. But those are those are examples of of my my own lived experiences, right? You know what? To be real, you know, our daughter came home one day and told me that a kid in class they're five, okay. And so I'm trying to figure out how to deal with this because she told me a kid in class touched her hair and she was like, "Yeah, they were playing with my hair." And I, I'm like, "Mama bear, like, mm -mm. don't touch my hair." <laughs> Right. Like, don't touch her yeah. hair. Don't touch her. Don't. And, and I've told her before, like, don't let people touch your hair. No. Don't let them because people are very fascinated by it. she has very curly, very beautiful hair and they're fascinated by it. And they're they're five. Mm -hmm. But right. Mm -hmm. See, this is where I'm like, I'm the two people in my one. life who call me are like mm -hmm. Daryl and Kiyama. They'll call me out and be like, don't give don't give white people passes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Play I can't that. tell you how many times you both have done this. We'll play that. Mm -hmm. those, you know, kids, so those kids got parents. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and it happens at an early age, yes. you know, so it's. And it becomes a learned behavior that as right. you get older. Right. Well, nobody's called me on it. So now I'm a, I'm a first year, I'm a freshman in college. And I think it's okay for me to treat my peers like this because I've been allowed to do this throughout my childhood because the people around me didn't tell me that that is inappropriate behavior. Right. Yeah. And I'll tell you this in, in April, she knows that I love her. But um, one of the things that like, I don't want our daughter to think is that it's like, it's okay, or she has to put up with it. And, and, and the difference between April and I, is like, she's able to very, I mean, she have boundaries, and she definitely will let you know when you cross them. But she's more like, friendly she's more of like the hugger and and that person and i'm i'm like how you just kind of explain like if you touch me i'm like put them up like mm -hmm. what's going on like and it don't matter if it's like you said a pat on the back because i'm just not really i don't really like people in my space like that where right. you know she is but our daughter i want her to understand that it's okay for her mm -hmm. to create boundaries and especially when it comes to um the topic that we're talking about now about her hair Right. Um, or her physical space, because I feel like as she grows older, I feel like a lot of people are going to be intrigued by her hair um, because it, it is very beautiful. It's very curly. It is very long. Um, and obviously she has, you know, mixed hair, mixed texture hair. So right. um, I don't want her to even think that she has to let people touch it at all 
five or not. I'm like, as soon as they reach for your head, you give them that eye. <laughs> you know, you give them the block. You right. Know? So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of where that is. Yeah. And it's funny because that's something that I think I had to, I'm, I'm glad that you are doing that at such a young age, Daryl, because that is something that I had to learn as life went on. Like it was one of those, okay, do I make a big fuss about this right now? And then I, you know, I have kind of that black sheep, like it's me, I'm the worst, I'm the aggressor, or do I let that go? And in hindsight, I wish that I had, you know, kind of set those boundaries initially. Now I'm at a point in my life where I'm just going to be unapologetically black, right? This is who I am. I'm going to be this 365, right? Now we code switch and I, I totally get that. We do that and we do it well, but I'm at a place now where I just can't, I can't give out those passes anymore. I don't have any more cars to give you. And so I'm, I'm glad that you all are talking about that because it's also not appropriate to ask her why her hair grows like that. Does it just grow like that? Is your hair just curly? Like, do you have to put product in it? Do you? Yes, this is my hair. It naturally grows like that. You, for those of you who want this, it just, I, I wake up like this, right? My black is beautiful. And so I'm glad you all are teaching her that now. That's that's the next, like, can I touch it? Does it look like that? Is this your real hair? You know, is how do you get these cools? How do you get these curls? Oh my gosh, it's so soft. And it's like, this human is not a pet and she is not on display. We have moved past that point of our history, right? She is not on the block. She is not up for display where you can examine her. And so I'm with you on that one. I'm a little unapologetic about that too. But, you know, our girl April has a different approach sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand that. And yeah. plus, like I said, her personality, she's, she is a social butterfly and she is very much on that side of the spectrum. And I am completely on the opposite side. We over here on the other side there. Yeah. But we also, we recognize too that that means because our daughter has my personality. Yeah. Our son has his personality. Yeah. But we also know that we have to start helping her set boundaries. Like he yeah. has to step in a lot of times because it's just my personality is so different. Yeah. So in order to protect her as a human, yeah, he'll have to step in and be like, this is what you say. This is what you do. Like, yeah. mommy's very nice. <laughs> she's a lot darker too, though, Kiama. Like, yeah. she's a lot darker than April's. I'm like, she's not going to yeah. get that pass that right. April from either side. You mm -hmm. know, she's not going to get that pass. So, um, you know, trying to make her aware, but doing it in a child appropriate way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I struggle with that because I'm just like, ah, like, back up, get up yeah. off me. Right. And then you have to remember that you're you're dealing with a five-year-old. And that's a great point, right? You're dealing with colorism on both sides, right? On one side, you're too dark. And on the other side, there are repercussions and consequences because you're too light, right? And so she's having those different identities and, and which one is most salient at any time is going to determine how she's going to respond in any given situation. And that's, that's, you know, it's going to be something to navigate, especially at such a young age. I mean, it's so disappointing that at five years old, you're already dealing with it. I mean, on the one hand, I'm glad because you can teach, you can start to teach her how to set boundaries at such a young age. But on the other hand, she's five. Like, why can't she just show up to school like everybody else does? And it 
to have the same lived experiences that everybody else does in 2021, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Those conversations start early though, because I remember when she came home um, when she was what, like four? Yeah, and early four. Early fours. And she was telling us about the conversations that were going on in class and how they were, her friends were saying that she was brown. Um, mm-hmm. Like they're having those conversations already. And I'm like, this this is happening at home for a kid to bring that yeah. and talk about it at school. Right. Brown people. And, you know, so. Um, yeah. And I mean, we're like you, we live in the South. Yeah. So I'm sure there are interesting conversations that happen. Absolutely. Yeah. So here's my question for you, since we're talking about the microaggressions and, and I'll, I'll give a, a story um, and, and I've probably said it before in previous episode, but um, a microaggression that happened for me um, in, in my current, like at my current institution, um, being in a leadership position, I had a gentleman um, and he was white and he'd come in um, he was having some issues and, and challenges with getting to the facility and, and his access control and all of that. So he came in and he was asking the students at the front for some assistance. And then he proceeded to say, well, I'm sorry, I need to speak to a supervisor. So then obviously there are a couple of tears before it gets to me. So he worked his way all the way to me and he asked, you know, um, one of the people who, who oversees the facilities and they handle all of these issues, he was like, hey, I wanna to speak to the person who's in charge. And they were like, okay, well, this is my boss. So they brought him to my office, right? So I'm sitting in my office and I'm just working and they knock on the door. I was like, hey, Daryl, we know you don't like to be interrupted in this manner, um, but this gentleman is really adamant about speaking to you, right? So the man came in and he was like, I'm looking for the per- person that's in charge. And I was like, um so that would be me i oversee all operations of this facility and programs and he was like no no i mean the real person that's in charge he said this to me in my office he said no 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 i want to talk to the real person in charge and i said okay um let's try this again sir you're talking to him that's myself um it's only one step higher than me. And if you want to speak to that person, you definitely can. So uh, he he just started to, you know, just like, well, um, I don't know what's going on. I thought I was going to be talking to the person who's really in charge. But since I got to talk to you, um, this is what's going on. Yes. I wish I was a fly. Oh, my right? goodness. I was on the inside. Like, my heart was just doing backflips. Oh, in my there. gosh. I was just like, D, just like, bring it down bring it down <laughs> he said since i gotta talk to you and i and i would prefer to be talking to the real person but he kept saying the real person right that's in charge and i was just like so for some reason he felt like i can't be that real person that's in charge and and i definitely know it had to do with with my the, what i look like absolutely when he walked in when they brought him into the office and they started explaining to me and he was standing right there and then he was just like, no, this can't, like, this can't be it. Like, he can't, he can't be that person. He can't be in charge. Because <laughs> he had already talked to, like, three or four people. So he probably thought it was a game. He was like, <laughs> they just going around passing me off to all their peers. <laughs> Everybody just pretending to be in charge right now. <laughs> so, but yeah, that happened to me at, at my current institution. And, you know, obviously, I, I worked with them and um tried to help him ad- address his, his problems and we ended up getting it resolved and mm-hmm. obviously the the most challenging part for me was that 
even though we resolved it, like he never, like, I feel like he was still thinking like, wait a minute, what? Even though we corrected the problem, we got him situated to where his access was working and he had it, he could do whatever he needed to. I feel like he just kind of overlooked all of that and was still trying to figure out how I was in charge. <laughs> he came away from that like, wait, did that all really just happen? Is this, is this real? Like he felt like he was on pranked, right? Yeah. Wow. Oh man. Yeah. So that, uh, you know, and, and I, I deal with, with microaggressions all, all, all the time. All can I time. can I ask both y'all something? Because I want to know we're in the age, obviously in the middle of a pandemic. And so we are in the age of virtual, right? Everything is virtual. Most people are working from home. And so they're interacting with colleagues in a virtual environment, much like we're on right now. So have you also, Kiyama, you told us a little bit, but have you also experienced microaggressions via Zoom, like in a remote environment? And what does that look like? How's that different or the same or? Yeah, I'll jump in and then I'll let okay. you. Um, yeah, so I've experienced it and, and it's so like, it's so easy to be overlooked or to be passed up in, in the Zoom. But the way that I've experienced, and I've experienced it a couple times, like, oh, hold on, we're going to give you a second to talk, like, like brush offs. I've gotten that a couple of times. Um, I've gotten the, the talk over, obviously. And, you know, when, when you, when they interrupt you and in between the transition, it's like a delay. So it's like, they kind of pause to see if you still have more, but don't really pause. And they just keep talking. You know, that happens sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it does happen. Um, like I said, over over Zoom, it's easy to kind of overlook it or pass it up because you do have the technology pieces and you have the, the minor delays um, and the different things like that. But yeah, it happens. Okay. It happens. <laughs> it definitely happens. And the impact is just as significant as if you were in person, right? It feels the same when someone talks over you, and maybe even worse virtually, right? Because I feel like there's a Zoom culture where we know there's some type of lag and some type of delay. But like you, like Daryl said, people will give you like that half a second. Oh, no, 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 you're not really going to say anything significant. So let me keep on with my point, right? And it's, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Like I said, I mean, I, I show up to so many virtual environments and am the only person of color, right? And it is difficult because would everybody would just be tagging each other in the conversation and going back and forth and you go to say something and somebody else talks over you or you say something and it's like, okay, she said that. But then John Smith, two, two, two comments down, says the exact same thing. And now it's rocket science, right? Like, Okay, did y'all miss when I literally said the sky was blue today? Oh, you were just waiting for someone else to say it. Like it's it is it's difficult, and like you know I've had instances since last March of you know showing up and you know people see my name and it, I always get the you know it, is your name Kiama? Is it is it you know is it Kiami? It's all these things, and you know I say oh you know my name is Kiama. If, I mean, if that's really difficult for you, you can call me A, right? Like, if it's that hard. 
And then, you know, it's, oh, so where are you from? Since, we, since we're waiting for your colleagues to show up, where are you from? Virginia. I live, I live in Central Virginia, like right outside of Charlottesville. What are you, what are we doing? Um, you know, or, you know, oh, okay. Oh, that's such a unique name. I love that. It's beautiful. And it's like, don't get me wrong. I'm thankful that my mama named me Kiyama, right? I, I own that proudly, but it's not that special. Like, we don't need to have a whole conversation about how, how beautiful and how unique my name is. Like, I know that we're not going to find that in the store on the keychain anywhere. I get it's unique. I don't need you to point out the obvious, right? Thank you, Captain Obvious. Um, but I'm with Daryl. I mean, it shows up. It shows up just as much in virtual spaces. And I think in, in Zoom and in Teams and in virtual spaces, sometimes it's easier to pick up on, right? Because you can sometimes sit back and, and kind of watch things play out, right? Like you can, you can see things transpiring and you can kind of see like a buildup of something and you, you're gonna say like, okay, here we go. We're gonna go down this road again. These three people right here are gonna be talking and they're gonna overpower everything. And I'm gonna have to figure out how to insert myself, right? Or, you know, I have to rely on my white allies, like my supervisor or colleagues that I have in other units to create spaces for me and to kind of open the door for me. And that's so inappropriate and so unnecessary, but it's needed because otherwise, like I literally have had to have people that are like, hey, Kiana's trying to make a point right now. Can we stop this conversation so that we can hear what her point is? And I'm like, well, thank you. I appreciate that, right? And it's, I mean, it's it's hard. It's but it's it's very noticeable in in virtual environments, in Zoom, in emails, where you know you send someone, and it's you know I've gotten to the point where I just you know you're just gonna get my full title when I respond now because you see the name Kiyama and you automatically assume that I do not know what I'm talking about. But I send the same response and put a title on it. Oh, okay, thank you. Oh, so that's all I needed to do. Good to know. See, they can't let me in none of meetings with you. If they start <laughs> clowning like that, I'm be like, so y'all sitting around with y'all waiting for Kiki. Do you love me? <laughs> Are you riding? What? Right, I mean, man. <laughs> but what you said about the—I know I was joking, but in all seriousness, what you said about the Q and and the Zoom and the virtual, it it does. It does give you, I feel like, an advantage. For me, it does on the opposite side. And I've started, people know uh, my face. Like yeah. I have a I can I can play it really close, but I also intentionally make my face do certain things. And I've learned how to use it to my advantage. So now when we're virtual. And I'll lean in and I'll just, you know, and people pick up on that and they'll be like, okay, yep. like we got to let them say something. And, and <laughs> I know now after trying it a couple of times that that can cue me up. So if people are cutting me off and they're not giving me a chance, you know, I'll kind of give them like one of these and just be like, and, and they're like, okay, like we have to, you know, cue in or I'll get in that chat box and say, you know, hey, when you all are done, just leave me space at the end to say what I need to oh say. Oh my gosh what and you want to talk about people get uncomfortable oh my goodness they stop like they get so uncomfortable and they're just like oh my gosh like he um because that's one of the things that 
I've experienced Mm -hmm. um, just in general, like people are like, they are afraid of the confrontation. Like, like you said earlier, when you're like authentic to who you are and you're, you're not hiding your blackness, like people get uncomfortable real quick and they don't like that uncomfortability. And and then they're just like, like, let's just go ahead and give them room to say what he need to say. Cause we don't want to go there. Right. You know, so I, I do know that um, we don't want to rock the boat too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so I'm so like I feel like we are like related in another life, right? Because it's like everybody knows, and I'm just to the point now where I really don't hide it as much as I used to initially. Like on my like my face is going to tell what what mood I'm in and everything in the first place. But I've just gotten to the point where now it's a tool and I use it. I mean, I will just stare you down and wait it out. And, you know, you'll know like, oh, okay. What's, I mean, I've had people chat me and say like, you know, like when I have been in a meeting where I've had, a, you know, a black colleague, they, you know, I've had a colleague write me and say, can I fix your face? And I'll write back, nope not doing it right now. This is what you're going to get, right? And I'm not going to apologize for that because I don't feel like I should have to go to that extent for you to at least acknowledge my presence and value me being in here with you. I'm here for a reason. Yes. yes. And and they they acknowledge it. And, and I do like a point that you said, and I, I want to make sure that I definitely speak on it because it does make a difference and it does help that ally because I do have some I have I have a lot yes. of those and sometimes they'll they'll say they'll ask me like you said on the side they're like you look like you have something to say and and they'll kind of cue me in in the background yes. um they'll say you like you have something to say and um I'll tell you something well I don't want to put the person out there but we have somebody that's in a high position that uh I, I know really well and I feel like they're an ally for me and they do that quite often they'll be like you like you have something to say or they'll say you usually have something around this topic area that you and I talk about on the side. Like, I want you to speak on that. And this will be yes. happening like behind the scenes and they'll kind of just cue me in. So that ally part, um, I think is very important and, and appreciating those uh, people and, um, you know, using them as, as allies. And, and sometimes I don't even wait for them to, to come at me. I'll just hit them yep. up in the side chat and be like, hey, I got some things that I think will help on this you know topic area just whenever you ready let me know and i'll know that there's somebody that can shut you know shut the meeting down whenever they're ready yeah yeah so i i mean i appreciate the allies who recognize their privilege um and can in turn use that power and privilege and authority way that creates a space for me because i mean it's so it's so crazy that you say that because you know I have a couple allies and the same thing happens where it's like, this is like an area that Kiyama works in. Like let's, let's loop her in or, hey Kiyama, we going down this, this hole here. What are your thoughts? Like, or I've literally had an ally who has halted a conversation and said, yo, Kiyama needs to make a point right now, right? And those things are so powerful because those are the opportunities where we get our seats at the table, right? Going down a different, we, we're all over the place tonight, but going down a different road, we have to work so much harder 
to prove ourselves, right? And so I already feel like, some, I feel slighted because I feel like I earned my place here in this discussion, but yet you're not acknowledging it. And so my, my colleague here, my ally is going to come through and create that space, right? But it just, it's so powerful because it's just a reminder that I gotta work a whole lot harder than my white colleague who's at a similar level at me that can get away with certain things that I just can't get away with, right? There are things that they can do that I can't do. <laughs> we struck another one, right? <laughs> we obviously have these conversations at home. Clearly. <laughs> but mm. yes, these are conversations. I, I'm not gonna have. follow up on this, but I feel you. <laughs> I feel you. We do talk about this often. Yes. And and there is, you know, and from my vantage point of being the white person, so part of the majority in the room, is that I see it too. You know, there are things that I know I could get away with that I do not believe that any of my other racially minoritized equals in that same space could get away with. And it's just part of, you know, I don't know if it's part of the culture and, you know, Kiama, we have kind of talked about that. You've actually helped walk me through this in writing before. Um, so I don't know if it's part of the culture of being at a PWI. I don't know if it's part of the culture of being at a place that is the policies are very white centric, yet everybody sees them as quote unquote neutral. I don't know if it's part of the culture of being in the South. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe it's a combination of all three, but you know, I can see this clearly and we talk about it often because it happens to him often, you know? Yeah. It goes back to a point that you were talking about earlier when you were talking about aggression that, uh, you know, the angry black woman, aggression versus passion. And I, I have that conversation a lot, and even with students sometimes about the aggression versus passion. Whereas if it comes from a certain person, um, that may be because they look a certain way or it could be because of past, you know, history. Um, but it's that, you know, they're passionate about what they're doing or, or, you know, if it comes from someone else, it's aggression. So I always find myself like, on the seesaw of that is to like, I want people to know that I am passionate about the work that I do, but also how can I do that in a way that it's not perceived as aggression when it comes out or when it shows. Right, right. I'm with you on that one. I mean, that, and it's it's a fine line, right? Because one, one wrong tone, one wrong body language mannerism, one wrong word can tip that scale so easily of, you know, oh, Daryl's just angry, you know, he's, he's all, he's confrontational. He's just, he's, he's on one today. When really it's, no, I'm passionate about this. You should be passionate about this as well because it's equitable and it's the right thing to do. But I want you to know how passionate I am about this and what type of energy I'm going to bring to this work, right? But because historically, this is how we're perceived, we don't get to show up into those spaces, right? Like I have literally sat in meetings, especially in Zoom, right? Virtually, 
where I've seen people who don't look like me literally yelling in the screen like this. I mean, just going off. And yet the minute like I try to even insert myself, everybody's looking at me like I just gave everybody the middle finger. And it's like, you, you literally had two people that were just yelling at each other in their screens and nobody's calling that out. But because I have some passion about what we're actually trying to accomplish, the reaction is completely different. Like the standard is so different for, for us, right? We, we have to meet a different level of professionalism. We have to code switch a whole lot more. I mean, it's just, it's, and it's everywhere. Like I, April to your question, I think it's all of those things. I think it's, you know, PWIs. I think it's being in the South. I think it's higher education in general. I think that's just the nature of where we are is as a nation in 2021 and our last, not even going to go there. Um, but, you know, all of those things. And I think they all are kind of impacting those environments and how we have to exist. And it's, I mean, Daryl, that's how our, our lived experiences are so different and so much harder than everyone else's. Like when we show up to the race, we got to bring all our baggage with us. And then we have all these other obstacles. Y'all just get to show up and it's paid for you. You can go straight to the finish line. Uh, let's do this. <laughs> speaking to my spirit right now oh okay speaking to my spirit right now let's do this because i i do want our listeners to have an understanding or know or to have some takeaways sure of how we can i'll use the term combat this um nope i ain't gonna use the term (laughs) combat because then they gonna think we're back here trying to fight yeah (laughs) let me let me out here (laughs) yes you know let me see so, so I guess let's leave the people with, with ways um, on both sides, I guess, on, on a side that if you are experiencing this, ways that you can communicate to the people that are, are you know, doing these types of things and um, exhibiting these behaviors, like how can you communicate that to them? And the people who are on the other side who may not know, like what are some ways or things they can look for to maybe know or get an idea that they are um, you know, exhibiting microaggressions and, and they just, you know, may just be accustomed to it and just don't know. Yeah. So for, for those of us who experience microaggressions, probably on a daily basis, I think that, you know, first and foremost, we have to take care of ourselves, right? We have to engage in self-care. And so it is so easy to just get wrapped up in a job or an employment and give, I mean, I I say it all the time, I give so much to this place and there are times when I feel like I'm not getting anything back. And so when we're not getting something back from what we're putting in, we have to be able to give back to ourselves. And what our self-care looks like may be different from you to me to the next person. But also I think it goes back to our conversation about your daughter in being comfortable in establishing boundaries. Being in a space where we can say, you know what, that's a, that's a hard limit for me. I need, to, I need to either remove myself from that situation or I need to take some time, kind of do some self-reflection, um, diffuse myself and then come back and have a, a conversation, right? But establishing those boundaries, I think, 
even from a young age all the way through now, I think are important because unfortunately, you know, ignorance is very real and people don't know what they don't know. So I can't sit over here and be mad that my homegirl April said something that kind of ticked me off and I'm sitting over here just stewing in it and April is going on about her business and doesn't know that I'm even upset, right? Like at some point I have to get to the point where I can say, hey, April, I need to have this conversation with you. And if that means that that's like a conversation that you're having with a superior or something like that, then you need to be able to identify who your allies are. Who are the people that you can have these conversations with that can help steer these conversations or be a neutral party or be a third party so that you can, so that you can address those. And then, you know, like conversations like this, there's strength in numbers. So I think for us, Daryl, we also have to establish in and in April, we have to establish our networks, right? And so, you know, like April and I having conversations about what our lived experiences are, there are things that I'm learning from her and there are things that she's learning from me, but also building that relationship and just having that place where I can show up and be myself and someone's actively listening to me, but I know that that person's also gonna be an ally or with Daryl, that person has the same lived experiences that I do is powerful because isolation is a very real microaggression, right? And it is hard to show up to work and feel like it is just you day in and day out, right? It, that, is, that is hard. And then on the other hand, for the people that are likely to commit microaggressions, put yourself in positions where you are around people that do not look like you and learn them, learn their behaviors, learn more about them and learn more about their lived experiences. That does not mean I'm just gonna take Suzy Q to lunch one time. That means I'm going to foster an actual relationship and get to know her and understand what her experiences are. Because I, nine times out of 10, if I'm in a meeting with Suzy Q, there's going to be something about her body language or her facial expression or her tone that's going to tell me something about what's going on is different from her than it is for me right now. I need to pay attention to that. And then for those of us who are leaders, um, specifically because racial microaggressions are often perpetuated by white people who don't understand the impact of their actions, right? So for those who are leaders, think about going the extra step and having equitable search committees, equitable and inclusive job descriptions, right? Search committees that represent the student body that exists at your institution. Pay, equity and pay is so different, is, an, is a microaggression because the difference in pay for white men and white women and then black men and black women is astounding right now. That, that is something that has existed for the last 50 or more years, right? So have equitable salaries, structure programs that reward all of the things that we are doing at your job. That may be things that are outside of the job description. April, you talked about being a mentor. So you might be mentoring someone. How does that look? Like, how do we build that into the job performance? How do we build that into our expectations and start having those types of conversations? If we're going to try to eliminate microaggressions, then we need to have equitable, inclusive job descriptions, right? 
Like, and we need to be able to measure that progress. And then let's stop just checking the box of, oh yeah, we're gonna do this DEI training. We're gonna do this multicultural awareness. Like commit to it. Don't just have it one time so we can say, oh yeah, we think Black Lives Matter and we're gonna check this box and now we're good. We're inclusive, we're good, we checked it. Actually consult with people and put your energy into it, right? But have conversations with and include people at the table who don't look like you. If you are a leader and your, your organization is majority white at the top, your practices are not gonna reflect those that do not look like you. So you need to create a space for them to exist. So, I mean, those are, the, I am no expert in that, but those are my, my thoughts on how we can, we can at least start the conversation, right? I mean, we might have to do a part two to continue that because I feel like we are striking some nerves here, Daryl, but that's, that's, that's my, that's my, my takeaway. I mean, it, it's insane that, you know, for every dollar a white man earns, the black woman more earns 62 to 65 cents on that dollar. I mean, we we've got to, if we don't start addressing those structures like that, microaggressions, particularly racial microaggressions, are going to continue. And they're just going to foster and keep going. And they're just going to keep getting more creative as we get more creative with Zoom and virtual environments and everything like that. They're going to show up in different ways. Ooh, but you just gave the business. I'm not even follow it up. I'm just going to say you just gave the business. Uh -huh. Thank y'all for coming to our workshop. Um, <laughs> You can pay Kiyama. You ads. know, oh my god. Thanks for coming to our TED talk. <laughs> yes. You just draw. I was just sitting here. I was just like, ooh, the business. I was just like the business. Look, let's do this. How can the people find you? Like if they want to reach if out. If you want to, to be if found. If you want to be found. <laughs> if, if they want to reach out to you and follow up. Or, or, you know, just connect with you if you want to be found. Um, how can they do that? You can find me on Facebook. I'm Kiyama Anthony Bishop, K-I-A-M-A. -A. Um, and on IG, I am Ms. M-I-Z-Z-K-E-Y to the number two, you. Um, and we'll drop that, I'm sure. But feel free to reach out to me on, on Facebook, on IG, or you can just shoot me an email. It's straightforward. It's Kiyama, not Anthony, my maiden name, at gmail.com. And we can chop it up. Oh, yay. But this was good. This we was good. might have to bring you back for That's, part two. I knew, I knew I, it. I, I was, told you. I was like, whew. I was just sitting here. I was just like, man, she mm -hmm. is giving them the business. So mm -hmm. we appreciate you. Well, thank um, you. I feel like you said something that can help a lot of people. Yep. Um, on both sides. So I'm sure that our listeners are going to have a lot of takeaways. Um, if you didn't get it the first time, just rewind it back and listen again, <laughs> <You'll get it. laughs> because there are a lot of good takeaways and uh, I think great recommendations in this episode. So yep. you got anything else? No, I can't follow that. I can't follow that. That was so good. I'm just, I do want to say, I am so appreciative of you. And I know we float. I was like, Hey, we really want you to be a guest on the podcast. We think our audience is going to learn a lot. And Kiyama's like, eh, okay. <laughs> I 
I was like, no, it's going to be great. <laughs> Coming here, dropping dynamite. Dropping dynamite. Like, what? Oh my gosh. I was nervous, exactly. you know, my girl reached out and I was like, listen, I don't know y'all, you know, I've been listening and it, you got some experts out there. That's not really my thing, but I'm, I'm glad to have been here. I appreciate you guys thinking enough of me to, to invite me. I've enjoyed myself. I'm, I'm here for part two and however many parts we're going to, we're going to go down. Cause I feel like in another life, Daryl and I are cousins, so we're gonna claim that. And, yeah. You no, know, we're we're gonna we're gonna keep it moving. But I, I mean, I appreciate it, and you know, I hope the, I hope we gave the followers what they what they wanted and what they needed. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well. All right. Until the next time. We out. Peace. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Success in Black and White, the podcast. The podcast. Music engineered and produced by DJ Vance. Remember that you can join our email list at successinblackandwhite.com for more ways on how you can help bridge the gap between racial boundaries. I'm April. And I'm Daryl. We're, We're out. out.